Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Climate Change Unfolding. I got so much to say, it's been way too long since my last episode. Uh, the Climate Change Unfolding podcast has been quiet for around maybe seven months, but my life hasn't been and neither is my meandering journey into the world of sustainability. I'll get onto that soon, but first I have something really important to say. And it's following on from the last episode. The last episode was with all-round legend and climate hero Janie Farmer and also about the imminent loss of a very unique area of river environment. Uh, there was a call to action at the end of the episode and the response has been amazing. If you haven't heard the last episode, listen into what Jenny had to say and the initiatives she'd planned. And in short, a dam was flooding a section of the river Nile in Uganda and about to drown or force out lots of wildlife and an amazing area of jungle islands. And Jenny wanted to create a habitat from a degraded section of riverbanks upstream of the flooding area, and at the same time, create an income generating schemes for low-income low communities of the area there. So all of that, the rescue of the wildlife and Jenny's schemes all needed funds. So we set up a crowdfund and I wanted this to work so badly. I, I, I ended up donating $1,000 of my own money, which is by far the most I've ever donated to any charitable cause. And, you know, I suppose it's, connected to the sort of level of emotional connection that I have to the area. But um, I also called out to listeners of this podcast and I made a sequence of social media posts on Cat Denial and Love It Live It, uh, which is two of my company's social media platforms. And uh, and you guys came through like nothing I could have imagined. So thanks to all of you amazing people, we raised another $10,000 on top of what I'd put in for um, in only a matter of days, which is just incredible. So, so many months later, when I think about it, it still makes me kind of emotional to, you know, to see the people coming together like that and get behind something, not for their own benefit, but for something good that they cared enough about to put some of their own money in. So, yeah, to me, that sort of response reaffirms my belief in humanity. You know, there's power in people. And whilst, you know, social media has its flaws, its ability to connect a group of people with sufficient passion you know, from all over the world, allows this sort of thing to happen. And, and that's really amazing. And I really feel like that's something special. So I wanted to say how grateful I am to all of the listeners and to all my friends and family and the past clients and everyone who donated and shared or told a friend about the whole thing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It means a lot to me. And the people and the animals that is ultimately going to be helping um, is going to mean the world to them. So yeah, I'm very grateful. And, uh, and I also just wanted to say sorry it took me so many months to say thank you and to follow up on that. I feel bad about that. But uh, anyway, I'll talk more about what's been going on lately. But there is a silver lining that comes with the delayed gratitude. <laughs> and it means I can happily report a number of positive outcomes since the donations have happened. Progress that we've made along the, uh, along the way on these projects. Part of the reason for the radio silence on the podcast is... I was focusing all my kind of sustainability energies into making some things happen. I wanted to make sure that all of your faith in me and in Jenny and everyone else wasn't unfounded and and that we really did our best to deliver something good out of all the amazing support shown. So let me tell you a bit about what you guys have helped make happen since you donated. Firstly, two different initiatives were done to help the wildlife on the Harry Lemon Islands and the surrounding area as the flooding happened. There were a whole range of snakes and monkeys and other wildlife were professionally and safely captured uh, thanks to a range of different trappers and the Uganda Wildlife Authority and a whole bunch of people that were helping out. And they were all released into national parks or large natural protected areas elsewhere in Uganda. Uh, so the money you guys donated directly 
contributed towards saving the lives of many innocent creatures. And that's amazing. So I hope you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> really quite special. So um, amongst the wildlife captured, oh, there's a whole range, but there were two tree pangolins, which are highly endangered species listed as under threat for extinction and, and are now apparently the most trafficked mammal in the world, which is pretty wild. Incredible creatures, they're eaten as extremely exclusive sort of high wealth delicacy in China for some reason. And the scales are used in traditional Chinese medicine as well. And there are a few resident pangolins on the island. And so rather than drowning or ending up in the wrong hands, these two pangolins have been captured and released into national parks. So hopefully to continue a long and happy life and in some small way, hopefully contribute towards uh, the longevity or survival of the species. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. So special thanks and that also should go to the Tiki Highwood F Foundation, which specialize in trying to conserve and, and sort of uh, look after pangolins. And they also help really helpful in coordinating the whole rescue um, and they also contributed some significant funds towards helping the whole thing happen as well. So uh, those guys, totally awesome. On the tree pangolins, sorry, bit obsessed about these guys, but they, if you don't know what they are, there are some pictures of the, the two that we caught on the hairy lemon. They're rarely seen, beautiful creatures, kind of like, mm, how would I describe them? A cross between a sloth and an armadillo. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think that's good. That's maybe giving them a disservice, but they're, they're pretty special things. So I, I put some pictures because I can't really just describe all this stuff um, that I'm talking about in this episode. I put a bunch of pictures on www.climatechangeunfolding.com slash episode 10, and that's the number one and then number zero. Um, and the whole range of other pictures too, of the people involved and the rescues, the animals. So yeah, if you want to get a visual to complement some of this audio, um, check out the website at some point. And if you contribute, then have a have a little look at some of the animals that you had uh, you took a part in saving the lives of. The complexity and the challenge of the whole rescue thing was significant. There was about fifteen different islands, all covered in huge trees and jungle. And um, as the rescues were happening, the trees were also being slowly sort of chopped down, and you know this sort of habitat was being torn apart. So there's lots of scared animals. And afterwards, it's crazy. It's hard to really describe, but it's, I kept going back there, you know, after every few days it would change. And by the end, it was kind of like a war zone, like there were trees everywhere. And some of them would have been salvaged um, by uh, local villagers. There were some charcoal harvesters, created huge mounds of charcoal. So there was big scorched earth areas afterwards. It was just crazy, like a proper war zone. And Anyway, then there was a bit of delay while the, um, you know, after the clearing and the, um, while there was just sort of general destruction on the islands and then um, the long dreaded and anticipated flooding eventually started. And, you know, once again, there was an absolutely wild situation on, the, on our hands there. So if you've been to the Hairy Lemon, maybe you've got a bit of a, a better idea and a surrounding area, maybe you can sort of picture a bit better. But um, if you haven't, I've also, I'll put some pictures of this on the, uh, on the website as well. But it's it's hard to get get across in words what it's like the the imagine the islands over a sequence of days slowly sort of inevitably getting eaten up by this eerie kind of creeping slow rising water and anyways as the water rises on this huge area it's 27 kilometers square area it's like some crazy biblical flood everything on these islands that can move is slowly forced onto higher ground or onto higher you know, areas of remaining undergrowth. So if they're on a tree stump, they eventually end up sort of crawling up the tree stump until they're left on the, on the highest point of the tree stump. And as the flooding was happening, I went along with some other willing volunteers and um, with some rescue and trapping equipment to see what animals remained. 
see if there were any more that we could save. And we used kayaks to float around the sort of what was left of the islands. Most of the trees and undergrowth were being cleared, but there was like a bunch of bushes and broken trees and tree stumps and all sorts. And, and obviously the islands are kind of different heights as well. So different bits got flooded at different times. But all of the wildlife was condensed into this pretty wild and hectic areas where everything was was compressed you know and it sort of underscored to me quite how much wildlife was living on those islands you know every twig every tip of every leaf or branch or remaining bit of the island was just covered in insects and you know the insects especially just blew my mind thousands of ants they were sitting on top of uh, spiders and termites and grasshoppers beetles you know piles and piles of them on top of every branch you know twig or log insane amounts you know? normally they'd be hunting each other and competing for space and you know in their natural environment but you know when you looked closely you didn't even see it was just dark brown on these things what's going on there and you look closely and there was just piles and piles of these insects and they're all just clinging for their lives weird to see like normally you'd see ants or spiders hunting other insects you know but they're just piled on top of each other you know grasshoppers on ants and ants on top of the spiders on top of them and you'd almost sense the collective fear and, and destruction of the whole thing as they just I don't know they just clung to the undergrowth not having any clue what was going on but um anyway you know and all the water between it was filled with dead undergrowth and leaves and the dead insects and the stuff that already sort of got captured by the water and you know other small animals that were too confused or too small to swim away it was like it was crazy it was like some kind of insect armageddon <laughs> yeah but anyway um, every time one of our kayaks brushed into a branch, thousands of ants and insects would jump ship and start taking over our kayaks, you know, in a, you know, a hectic, kind of weird, entertaining way to watch. And Because you're kind of, all of a sudden, these double sit-on-top kayaks we got from Catanal covered in hundreds and even thousands of ants. And, until you, you know, it's, it's entertaining to watch until you're the one who's literally got ants all over their legs and their pants and <laughs> we're jumping around on wobbly kayaks trying to clear off the ants whilst failing dismally to retain some kind of dignity. But... <laughs> And definitely trying to avoid falling into all those branches. But anyway, got, got <laughs> diverted into detailed breakdown of insect Armageddon. Anyway, the bird, and there was birds everywhere thinking about what else was going on. There was, you know, every remaining branch had a bunch of different birds and lizards and geckos and whatever. And some of the birds are feasting on the available insects that would normally be much harder to find. And many were just sat there just kind of watching. God knows what would have been going through their minds, you know, very disorientating, confusing for them. But... Most of the big animals had either been hunted or swam away or maybe drowned. A lot of it by this point had gone. But we did find a mother and baby monkey in a thick bush, which is one bush that had been left. And it was like on the high ground and there was this bush. And right next to it, next to this mother and baby monkey was a was a huge forest cobra. So there was a, the whole team was like, okay, we've got to get this monkey. But you know, obviously, we want to stay well clear of the forest cobra in the, in the meantime. And after a lot of delicate and sort of careful shuffling and maneuvering and, you know, long poles and nets and whatever else, we managed to get the monkey into the water and away from the snake. And, you know, monkeys are able to swim, but they're much less able to run and capable in the water than they are on the land. So, it may, you know, struggle and escape. So it's much easier to capture them on the water. But the race is on, though, because this monkey had a couple of months with, with limited habitat and probably not all that much food, and, and also it was exhausted, and it kept going under the water, and the baby was under the water the whole, the whole time it was in the water, so, you know, we were hustling hard to try and get it as quick as we could. You know, I tried once and failed with the net that, that we had, and, and then Emily Jackson, uh, Jackson Kayaks, one of the kayakers that was visiting uh, at the time on the U.S. kayaking freestyle team, uh, she, uh, 
she was right in the right place as it popped up and she just dove for it and heart racing she and you could see the fear on her face with for both her and the monkey it was it was really quite scary you know and the, um she managed to scoop this monkey from under the water um with her bare hands at the end you know the nets we tried with but um you know time was pressing and she was right there so she just reached in and got it by the scruff of the neck and you know pulled out this exhausted and very sad looking baby uh, mother out the water and once she realized that Emily wasn't trying to hurt her she, she she just stayed there and just looked totally sad and dejected while I got the basket to her and, and she Emily managed to sort of just get this baby inside this uh, this rescue basket that we had uh, you know with a bear hands <laughs> it's kind of amazing um but the poor monkey looked so sad and that basket would ultimately be the transport to safety uh, you know I rushed the basket to her you know and as soon as we got the lid on the basket Emily's just face erupted she tears came streaming out of it the whole thing I mean it was I mean it's hard to describe as sometimes I've struggled with this medium on its own you know you're surrounded by destruction and all this build up to this all of this insects and the wildlife and and the flooding of this area you know well and then you got this small wet exhausted confused monkeys plus with the the fear of the forest cobra and and grabbing a monkey by the by the scruff of the neck and then you know seeing the baby all you know have you ever seen a wet cat you know how sorrowful that looks and the monkey looks the same <laughs> and the, the mom was at the point where she was giving up she was just floating under the water and it was you know anyway we got it in the basket it was an intense and powerful moment and amazing work from emily and very grateful and Ultimately, we managed to free them later that day. We got we got another monkey with after some more jungle bashing from the rest of the team and swimming and adventure, you know, trying to sort of track this other monkey down on a bit of island that was remaining. And so, and we took them in their baskets and freed them in a protected forest area um, elsewhere. So amazing and grateful again to the people who donated money and allowed for the equipment and all the trappers and the, and and so on and the transport to to make it all happen. And thanks to all the volunteers and the and the trappers, and especially those who are dealing with the snakes. You know, we uh, we didn't have snake specialists on that final thing, but the first round where we got a lot of different snakes that they caught, um, and a variety of species which they ultimately released into um, into wildlife areas. So you know, the snakes have a danger aspect as well. And thanks also to all those people who got their balls bitten by 300 ants in the final mid flooding rescue as well. Yeah, they were total heroes and totally got involved, and it really. It was, it was it was a it was a special thing to be involved with and uh, and thanks to all those people back home who you know and around the world who who make who make it all happen so what else to say about that sometimes you got to see things so like i said i put a bunch of pictures on that on the website so if you fancy check it out another thing i'd like to, you know i want to say about that is sounds all well and good but for every creature we saved uh, on the first and the final rescue there were there were thousands maybe even millions that we didn't rescue and that we couldn't rescue and you know so that reality really hit me the first time what was going to happen face to face when you know I moved the last wooden frame from the Harry Lemon bar and about 40 geckos scat scattered in every direction you know we've been watching those running around the bar and catching insects and whatever for for years but when I see them all like under that one last little bit and then they run and there's well you know a few days time this is all gonna be underwater but you know and then later the insects and the flooding itself it's hard to witness and and we also probably realistically given the size of the area we definitely didn't get all the monkeys and all the pangolins that were there you know and um, but the monkeys and pangolins in a strange sort of way did benefit from being high profile and well-known animals you know but even not all, all of those species didn't survive so it, it would have been an impossibility to save everything but you know so ultimately what we really need if we you know if we want to conserve all these sort of species is is quality protected natural habitat 
there's no substitute for that. You know, that it's going to allow the wildlife and the incredibly complex, interconnected sort of web of life that happens in well, in any environment, but especially in this jungle environment. So that's what we need. We need more of that. So anyway, which I suppose leads me on to the next thing which I want to talk about, which is riverbank reforestation and Jenny stuff. So after the rescue, all the remaining funds have gone towards Jenny Farmer's Trees and Bees project. And I talked about it pretty extensively in the last episode, so I won't go into detail now. But in short, it's a riverbank reforestation and an initiative to create income for some of the local communities through beekeeping and fruit trees, which also incentivizes them not to simply just cut the trees down. You know, if you don't address the driving reason why deforestation happened in the first place, then ultimately the, any reforestation project is not going to uh, last that long. I wanted to update you on, on that project also because we made a bunch of progress there as well. So all the wheels are in motion for that now. The local community groups have been organized and are engaged and on board. Permission from the National Forestry Association has been granted. Jenny's been doing a lot of work with that and that's not easy. And as a volunteer in country now, who's helping with that project, which is really cool. And rainy season is supposed to have started by now, but the wildly erratic climate that's been happening in Uganda recent years makes that really unpredictable. Um, it used to be like bang on every every year it would be predictable. This week it would happen, and now but now it's all over the place, and probably to do with climate change as well. So it's it's still dry, but the rains will be coming soon, and as soon as they do, Jenny and her team ready to to get their trees in the ground. Um, so and Katie, the volunteers on hand to help coordinate that as well. So Katie Zinero, thank you. Excited to see what comes of that. Yeah, really excited actually to see what comes. Uh, you know, as it changes from a degraded, eroded riverbank, slowly transforming itself into a thriving habitat. It is amazing to see the speed of recovery and growth on the equator with a year-round growing season, strong equatorial sun. Things grow unbelievably quickly. It's a crazy amount. It makes sense, you know, with the you know, strong sun and year-round kind of intermittent rainfall. And just to give you an example, I have an avocado tree we planted as we arrived in the house we're living in now, which is what now just over two years ago. And it's, it's already 20 foot tall, you know, um, crazy. How could, you know, I can imagine, I can remember when it's waist high when I'm putting it in the ground and now it's towering up. It's a full grown tree. It's probably 20 years growth in the, in the UK or something. But anyway, um, so Hopefully, we're going to see this uh, this habitat turn into a forest, you know, and, and in surprisingly little time. So imagine what that's going to look like with these awesome bays overlooking the river, not just one tree, but many hundreds, you know. So also for the locals there who are, for the most part, subsistence farmers who rely on an increasingly erratic and unpredictable farming, this would be an awesome source of alternate income. You know, it's, it's interesting that Climate change is already hitting their lives, and and nice that all you guys who've contributed can, you know, have a positive impact there as well. So it's all in the works. The balls are rolling, and thanks again to everyone who's been a part of the raising the awareness and the fundraising. I've put a few pictures of this into the same blog post on climatechangeunfolding.com/slash/episode10, uh, so uh, you can check that out as well if you want to see the riverbanks that we're um, that we're targeting for this project, and some of the community groups. And Katie sort of engaging with uh, in educating people about how it's all going to work, and um, they're also the local community have got to contribute a little bit of their own money. I think it's an important aspect of that the buy-in uh, with their own money, but you know the vast majority of the cost is is subsidised by fundraised money. So thank you uh, for that. 
yeah, on, actually, on one note on that is I've set up uh, an email list for climate change unfolding uh, for anyone who's interested. I was so blown away by everyone who's contributing. I thought it'd be a, quite a cool thing for a few times a year to get a, an update with a few um, pictures of the land and watch that sort of degraded riverbank from afar turn into a, hopefully a natural thriving jungle. And so there's a link for that in the show notes and on the same page. So if you stick your email in there, I send you uh, every now and again a... I'm not going to be spamming you every week. Definitely don't have time for that or anything like that. But, uh, you know, I'll send you updates intermittently um, with some pictures and, you know, anything else that's going on if there's new, with new projects on the climate change unfolding setup. So feel free if you're, if you're keen and interested, and especially if you donate, that's that's extra cool to get a little warm, fuzzy feeling um, randomly in your inbox once or twice a year <laughs> in coming time. So, yeah, check out the, uh, the mail list. Last thing to say on that is... Uh, yeah, I guess Jenny's plan for this is not only one small project, but uh, this is just the beginning of it. And hopefully, to you know, it's a pilot project to prove it's a success. And every further donation that we get will expand the scope of the area on the riverbank. So um, more trees, more habitat, more bees and more local communities uh, support. So we're just with the extra donations, we're just expanding the range and the size of the locations and adding in extra community members. So so if you missed the boat first time round, or if you're listening to the podcast uh, down the line, not as it's coming out, you know, and likewise the last one, if you missed the boat, no pun intended, and, and feel sufficiently moved to be a part of it, get in touch with uh, Babuga Conservation Trust directly. Uh, so that's babugaconservation.org. It's mm, babuga. Okay, B-U-B-U-G-O conservation.org. And I'll leave a link to that in the show notes on the change unfolding website anyway it's not a plug to get more money or anything uh, we're very grateful to everyone who's already donated but um if you do feel sufficiently moved by the whole thing and you see the uh it all developing it is an amazing initiative if you want to hear more about it check out the last episode i kind of got obsessively into it last time <laughs> round. so let me let me skip on jumping topic then during the break between episodes i frequently thought about trying to get the podcast going again and and particularly i thought about all the people that donated um at the very least i owed you this episode but i hope there's not just going to be one more episode is it's going to be a lot more than that and uh, much more than these projects alone so um it feels great to be recording again i feel like my heart's in not this project and this podcast but also just what it represents to me and i've somehow not been able to find the time to get going on it once i'd stopped with the momentum it's hard to pick things up again once you uh, the momentum's dropped off, and with everything I've got, have had going on, I'm definitely, I would say, a time limited person. And the time I've been able to put into this part of my life has been a lot to, more to do with getting things done rather than kind of talking about sustainability on the podcast, if you like. You know, doing the fundraising, helping to coordinate the rescues, and handing things over to Jenny for the trees and bees. Plus, you know, I've worked with this amazing organisation since we talked last on this podcast uh, called Fair Trade Tourism to bring that into Uganda. I'm happy to say Kat and I's the first company to be in Uganda to be fair trade tourism registered. So that's a pretty cool thing. I uh, love that. Love that we've managed to, um, to do that. And there's a variety of things involved with that and combination of good business practice, safety, environmental standards and all that. But uh, that's still an ongoing process and it's probably a topic for a different episode. So maybe I'll leave it for now. But I should also say that me getting on with stuff rather than talking about it doesn't completely ex- explain the gap you know, I don't know, it's must be seven months or something like that. You know, it doesn't completely explain the gap that I've just been getting on with these projects because for the most part, Jenny's been doing the trees and booze and uh, and now Katie, also the volunteer that's helping. 
there's also the flooding of the section of the Whitewater um, on, that's, you know, really affected what's going on with me. You know, it affects all three of my companies. There's, there's a whole range of disruptive aspects, you know, operations-wise. We need to move a lot of our products. We need to reprioritize and adapt to a different business environment. And, and all that takes a lot of work, you know, retraining of staff. And thankfully, there's still great products that we offer the remaining whitewater and, and the areas of the Nile River is still amazing and, and got great products. But, you know, it's not just about having world-class products. It's also about the public perception. And that's a huge thing that's affected aspects of the businesses, you know, certain markets of the business. And so, you know, I'm fortunate to have a growing business for the last six years. And that's wonderful. And, you know, it's been really good. <laughs> but uh, after the flooding, the, you know, there's a huge disruption and the rug's been pulled out underneath the industry a little bit here such wide publicizing of the uh, of the flooding and the destruction of the river you know and that's had an impact on my businesses and you know and and everything that's going on around here so so it's not a fun situation to deal with and as a business owner or even for my staff either you know it's kind of emotionally disruptive because the area where they work has been all changed around and also economic impact on you know on the businesses you know, and I feel, I feel a sense of responsibility also for ensuring the longevity of all their jobs and, you know, ensuring that they retain and, and increase their income in the future. And so there's that area of responsibility over not just me, but also for my staff. But I don't know. So so that's kind of taken over my life a little bit um, for, for a time. And there's, there's an interesting quote I came across at some point during the last months I saw and I thought, oh, that's that's what's going on right now. And so the quote, the quote goes something like this. What is it? When, when when money growls, conservation cowers. <laughs> so that's the end of the quote. But you know, simple quote. But you know, I guess money growled pretty loudly at me, both with the decision to build at the dam. You know, not my decision, but you know, and for the dam company and the Uganda government to cut corners with the conservation aspects of it, and you know, and then for for me personally, afterwards financially you know, money's been growling, if you like, you know, it's been difficult, we received no compensation, significant costs to adjust to a new environment, and big investments in, in marketing and changing of the products, market perception, and, and less customers, it's, so all of that, it's, it's, um, it's hard uh, in a situation, in that situation, where sort of backs against the wall a little bit to what feels like casually devoting time to what's, what kind of feels a little bit like a nice to have podcast, that doesn't, there's no income generation for me, there's no, it's, it's a passion project rather than me you know trying to gain anything from it particularly you know it's my conservation plans <laughs> you know I am a, but I am a little bit embarrassed or even ashamed to say that you know when money growled at me at least to a certain extent the amount of time I put into climate change and sustainability has has cowered <laughs> if I can carry on that analogy and you know that doesn't that doesn't fill me with joy you know there's but there's there's still a lot to do with the businesses and my to-do list bulging as ever <laughs> Plus, having a kid now makes time all the more precious. You know, quality time with my son also at stake when I'm divvying out my time too. So, yeah, that's a contributing of why why we've had such a big gap. But uh, there's also another quote that struck me, struck a nerve with me in the last months, in in past months. You know, so concerns of conservation and the environment are reserved for the privileged. End quote. And I think I mentioned that before in the podcast. But all things considered, you know, versus your typical person in the world, I'm very privileged. You know, I'm a white male born in the uk you know which is you know winning the geographical lottery you know economically and for whatever reason for to a certain extent i've got good parents you know now i'm in a good career i have good life and wonderful family and all that but you know a few things start getting in the way and life gets a bit difficult all things you know all of a sudden things go 
quiet and less active. And, you know, I'm not really impressed with myself there. And I don't, I don't want this project, which, you know, which seems kind of like linked to my action and my journey into sustainability and climate change to so just be something I can do when I when I clear everything else off my to-do list. You know, it's a nice privileged project and I'm making money and whatever else and I, and I can do when everything's wonderful. No, no, you know, if we were to make any headway with this, it can't be only people in that situation that are engaged. You know, conservation, sustainability, the environment, it, it's more important than that. And I have to make time and not just in the rare times where, you know, things are going great, you know. We all have to make that time, really, if we're going to give the future generations at least a, a shot at living with even close to the opportunities and the, uh, and the environment that we're offered, you know, we are fortunate to have. Anyway, as soon as I sat down to do this again, press record, it felt good. It felt like my heart and my head had been in conflict for a little while. Uh, my head's saying, you need to sort all of these things out, get business back on track, and you need to do all these things and get making money again and whatever. And my head's still saying that, really, but my heart says... This is where you should be working. At least some of your time has to be here each week. So perhaps later than I would have liked. Um, here I am. And if you're listening, then I'm happy to have you here with me. So I'm changing folding back on track. Final quote then that affected me also during this last six months and helped me finally get my, off my ass and get going again with the podcast uh, when my money was growling at me. <laughs> quote, so when the last tree is cut down, the last fish is eaten, the last river's damned and the, and the last ocean poisoned, we'll realize that we can't eat our money. End quote. Okay, all right. So I bastardized that quote and the last bit about the damning. <laughs> I added that in. But anyway, you get the general gist. I don't know where we're going exactly with this journey into sustainability or what our future holds or even the future exactly or what I'm trying to achieve with this podcast. But with all the different projects and challenges I've dabbled with over the years and whatever, I found when my heart's in something fully that I'm more resourceful and more determined and enjoy a sense of a greater sense of purpose. So I guess I just trust in the process and see and let me leave it there for now. I think for today, lots more on the horizon. This is Climate Change Unfolding. We'll see you next time. <laughs>